John was a disciple of Jesus. He wrote a couple things about Jesus that, that, that Jesus made a couple really bizarre claims. Really bizarre claims. Jesus said some weird things, right? Let's be honest. It was weird at the time. Why was it weird? Because it had a deeper spiritual meaning. That's why. So I'm going to just read this to you. Uh, He said in in John 4, this won't be on the screen, but I just want to read to you. So just listen to what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water, and he's talking to this woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. It's true, right? We, We get thirsty, we take a drink. Well, we're thirsty again later on. Whoever drinks, though, of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So apparently Jesus had some kind of special water, this Jesus water, <laughs> that, that would satisfy a person spiritually forever. That's what he's saying, right? So what does the woman at the well say? She says, give me this Jesus water, and I don't have to keep coming to this well. Then, Jesus says, John records a couple chapters later, 5,000 people had been fed a nice fish sandwich lunch, and they had gotten their fill. They never ate that much in their life before, and now they're following Jesus around. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's taking something that happened a long time ago with Moses, and he's bringing it up now, and he's saying, hey, I got some Jesus bread that's going to satisfy you spiritually forever. And what was their response? Same thing. Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus' bread And Jesus' water sounds really, really good. Like they want that Jesus' bread and water, which is the title of this message, in case you haven't got it. Um, Jesus talked like this. He talked in these parables. But let me just explain. A parable is a simple story that explains a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And Jesus used those a lot, these simple stories to explain a spiritual truth. Bread and water explained heaven. And the same bread and water that Jesus was talking about here is what Moses gave the Israelites in the desert. But here's the sad part about Moses and the Israelites. They didn't trust God. The Israelites kept testing God. They kept asking God, prove yourself over and over and over again. And there was a consequence of that, of their lack of faith. They didn't enter the promised land. Canaan was the promised land for the Israelites. And they instead wandered for 40 years in the desert. They never got to enter the promised land. And what's the spiritual understanding of Canaan, the promised land? Heaven. Heaven is what they're talking about, is what Jesus is talking about. So today, I'm going to offer you guys some bread and water. And I don't want you to be like the Israelites and not trust God. I want you to be like the Christians today that understand the real meaning of the bread and the water. And I don't want you to to need a sign or a miracle so you'll believe. 
I pray you'll have ears to hear the truth. And here's the truth. We're all beggars who found some bread. And that bread is Jesus. He is the bread of life. Amen? Amen. All right. So we're going to get into this, but before we get on our journey back into Exodus, we've been in the book of Exodus for quite a while now, I'm going to tell you that all of this stuff in Exodus is a foreshadowing of what came when Jesus was here on earth. When you read the Old Testament, it is a foreshadowing of what has come in the New Testament. And if you ever wonder, should I read the Old Testament? Yeah, it makes sense, and that's why I'm teaching through it. And uh, Hebrews is a great book of sort of a, uh, a highlight, if you will, of the Old Testament. If you read through the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, it talks all about the Old Testament. In fact, I want to bring up a few passages here so you understand what we're looking at in Exodus is foreshadowing of what has come. Hebrews 3 says, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful of God's house as a son. Moses was, was uh, showing the way, if you will, for Jesus. Hebrews 8, it says, they serve. These things serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. Moses was called on to build a tabernacle. And he told Moses to do it exactly like this pattern that I'm showing you, because of what was to come. Hebrews 10, Moses was given the law, but he says it's a shadow of the things to come, because the law, in all of its sacrifices that they had to make, the animal sacrifices for forgiveness of sin, all of that could never satisfy could never be perfect, those who draw near in Christ. And here's the verse that I put on the screen for you, Colossians 2. They are a shadow of things to come, but what's the real substance? Jesus Christ. All of this in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. There's over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament before Jesus was ever born, all pointing to him. So Exodus points to Jesus, physical events with spiritual implications, and they apply to us today. So we're going to dive in. Are you ready to dive in? Yes. Tap somebody next to you and say, I'm ready for the word. Tell them, <laughs> you're ready. I didn't say hit them, I just said tap them. All right. Now last week, we covered... Exodus 15, the victory song of Moses. And I told you, there's all kinds of victory songs in the Bible. And we talked about the victory song and a victory dance. And some of you got excited because you thought I was going to do the gritty up here, but I didn't do it. I don't know how to do it. My son's in the back. He can do it. Uh, I, I'll never get him up here to do it, though. And that would be a miracle. All right, you want to see a miracle? My son comes up here and does the gritty. No, it's not going to happen. But check this out. I was, I was buying a gift. I had to um, officiate a ceremony on Friday uh, for a wedding of a wonderful couple that um, I actually taught as a student, um, um, the groom, when I was a teacher in the high school. And uh, it was really, really wonderful. My wife and I got to go and so many um, students that uh, I had many years ago. It was crazy. Like, I'm just, we're sitting here and all of a sudden the caterer walks out and taps me on the shoulder. Mr. Trombley? 
I'm like, Charles, wow. Like, I, I remembered his name because it was on his shirt there. So, you know, a lot of teachers, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's hard to remember. But yeah, so like it was really cool to reminisce. Well, anyway, I was buying this gift for this, this couple, and um, I was at the store, and I, and I came across this. Our, last week, we sang His Love Endures Forever. So I saw this, and I, and I thought, there it is, Psalm 100, verse 5. You know, for the Lord is good, his love endures forever. So I had to buy it, man. I had to bring it. So uh, it's here for the church. And uh, most of the stuff we see is, is uh, bought by, by us. And we just kind of decorate the church with scripture because the word says, put the scripture everywhere. And um, we tried to put it in our house. It just didn't work. So it's here. It's, it'll make, we'll make room for it here. Um, but yeah, that was fun. How many of you had fun last week in church? You actually, some of you danced in church for the first time. You didn't know you could do that. It's okay. I just told you don't get crazy and start running up and down the aisles. That's not, that's not, that'll freak people out. Don't do that. All right, so today the Israelites are going to travel through the desert, and this is the plan of God to test them. So this is the thing that, that God is doing, and they don't like it. I mean, let's be honest. Do you like being tested by God? Not really, right? No. But they are going to be tested, and there's a reason for it. So there's a lot of scripture here. I'm going to kind of not um, not go through every verse, but enough of them um, on the screen. If you want to follow in the Bible in front of there's a Bible, blue Bible, and a chair in front of you. I hope. Grab it. It's yours. Keep it if you'd like. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Moses, uh, this is right after they went to the Red Sea, they got the victory. Moses um, sends them out, or they, they head out after the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness of Shur. And they go three days. No drinkable water. Three days. They came to a place called Mara, and they couldn't drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. The name Mara means bitter. That's why it's called Mara. They, they, they name stuff based on what, you know, what happened there and it helps them remember. So they grumbled against Moses. They blamed Moses. What are we going to drink? We can't drink this water. It's bitter. Now, if you have two million people that are mad at you, that are grumbling, uh, what are you going to do? I mean, I guess you could run. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of people that are mad at you. But what does Moses do? He turns to the Lord. In fact, he cries out to the Lord. We're going to go to verse 25. That's a good choice, Moses. The Lord shows him a log, a tree that he takes and puts it in the water, and the water becomes sweet. Clearly a miracle God did. The Lord made them a statute there, and he tested them. I underline that for you because you need to see that throughout these chapters. God is testing them, and they are not passing the test. God said, if you obey my word, you do what's right, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. He did this on purpose. He made them go three days without water so that they would turn to him. What do they do instead? They complained. They grumbled. They got mad at Moses. They didn't pass the test. Verse 27, they then moved to a place called Elam, and there was an oasis. Twelve springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there. They hung out there for a while. Then it was time to go. Exodus 16, verse 1. They set, they set out from Elam, they, all the congregation of the people of Israel. They come to the wilderness of, I'm going to pronounce it Sin. 
I think that's the correct pronunciation there. Like, you know, sine, cosine, tangent. Remember that? Back in the day, geometry. Some of you are like, I hated that class. <laughs> Me too, actually. I hated teaching that. Just to be honest with you, I like algebra. <laughs> My wife's laughing. She's a math teacher too. Um, but yeah, so the wilderness of Sinai, I think that's the right pronunciation. It's between Elam and Sinai. And here's the part that's important. This was the 15th day of the second month after they had left Egypt. Now, if you remember, Passover, I believe it's the 14th day of the first month. And so now they've been out of Egypt how long? About a month. It's the second month, right around the same time. And they haven't had a good meal in a month. You ever have that? You feel like, oh man, you've been eating junk for a while, maybe you just haven't been home to have a really good home-cooked meal, and you just need some comfort food, right? Like that's what's going on here. Verse 2, the whole congregation, they got mad at Moses, they grumbled against Aaron, his brother, and they're out in the wilderness, and the people said in verse 3, we should have just died in Egypt. Why are you bringing us out here? In Egypt, we had meat in our pots, and we had bread to eat, and we got stuffed, and we felt good. Um, we're coming out of that, aren't we? The winter, you know. We, we, you know, Sometimes we put on a little extra weight in the winter because we get a little too many comfort meals there. But yeah, they haven't had a good meal in a month, and they're complaining. We're hungry. We used to have good meals. Meat, potatoes, bread, mm, good, right? Comfort food. But now they have nothing. In verse 4, the Lord says to Moses, this is what you're going to do. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and they will gather a day's portion every day. So I will test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This is a test. Bread from heaven is coming and to see if they will trust God every single day. A physical thing with a spiritual implication. Once a day, that's it. Verse 14, this is how it works. It would like rain, or like, you know how you wake up and there's dew on the grass? This dew, when it, it says in verse 14, when it, when it goes away, the face of the wilderness will be like a fine, flake-like thing, like frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's what they said. They looked out, what is it? Now they have one word for that, All right, we'll, we'll get to. They didn't know what it was, so they said, what is it? And Moses says, it's bread from the Lord. He's given it to you to eat. But they had instructions, take only enough for one day. Do you think they listened? No. Moses said, let no one leave it until the morning. They didn't listen to Moses, verse 20. Some left part of it until the morning, thinking, oh, in case you know, he doesn't provide tomorrow, I got some left over. But what happened? It bred worms, and it stank up the whole house. Like when I make my famous lentil stew, my wife hates it, so it stinks up the house, she says. Moses was angry with them. Thank you for not being angry with me, honey. They didn't listen, they didn't pass the test, they didn't trust God. Now, something interesting was to happen on Fridays, because the Sabbath day was Saturday. That was their seventh day. They were supposed to rest and not do any work, not collect any of this bread on that day. 
So God would send an extra strength manna, is what it's called, uh, bread, on Fridays. And that would last two days. All right, that, that, that was God's provision. Now, did they listen to Moses and obey when he says, Friday, collect enough for two days? Don't worry about the next day? No. Verse 27, the seventh day they went out to get the food. And they didn't find any. And Moses said, how long? Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? They refused to obey God. Now, one of our ladies' Bible studies is studying this same passage, and they're really excited that I'm about to teach on this uh, and talk about, uh, they just think it's the coolest thing, I think. Um, what is this, this stuff? What is it? It's uh, the house of Israel called it manna. Manna. That was the name. It was coriander seed, like coriander seed, white, and it tastes like wafers made with honey. Sounds kind of good, right? Sounds decent. Um, but anyway, they said uh, manna or manu is how they pronounced it. Now, that word, it, it, one, one Hebrew word is like our expression, what is it? So they said manna or manu, and, and that means what is it? So I, I just thought, this, what if Abbott and Costello, uh, uh, some of you know the, the who, who's on first the comedy thing? Yeah, what if those guys were, were alive back then? You know, they'd be like, what's for breakfast? What is it? That's what I'm asking you. What is it? What's for breakfast? What is it? Are you going to tell me what's for breakfast? I just did. What is it? We could do this all day, right? What's for lunch? I'm not hungry anymore, all right? Yeah, what is it? That's, that's manna, <laughs> bread from heaven. Verse 35, these people ate this manna for 40 years until they finally got to the promised land of Canaan. Now, some of you might be thinking, this is totally unfair. Why is God being like this? Why is God making them eat the same thing over and over and over again for 40 years? Now, some of you like to eat the same thing over and over again. You like the same breakfast every morning. Anybody like that? You just eat the same thing every day. I don't even know how I can relate to you people, all right? I need variety, all right? I got like five breakfasts. I alternate. I rotate. Um, but yeah, some of you like it. You'd probably be fine, all right? But people like me, we'd be complaining, right? I, why? But seriously, God is not being unfair. They were not supposed to be in the desert for 40 years. They were supposed to leave Egypt and go straight into the promised land. But they didn't. And there's a reason why they didn't. It's because they didn't believe they didn't obey God. They didn't trust God. And that's sad. Hebrews 3.19 says they didn't enter because of their unbelief. They failed the test. And this is what I want you to hear today. Don't be like them. Don't fail the test. Have ears to hear. This is what it says in Hebrews 3.12. And these are words for us today. This is the New Testament. This is talking to Christians today. Verse 12. Take care. That's really too nice. Really, honestly, I looked up the Greek word for this. It doesn't mean, take care, you know? you know. Think about it. No, it's saying, beware. Take heed. Beware, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That's sad, right? You don't want to have an unbelieving heart. And I don't want you to take this church thing lightly because I think it's serious business. You've got to know the condition of your heart. 
Because what you believe determines where you spend eternity. And if you don't hear anything else today, I would really want you to hear that. What you believe determines where you spend eternity. In fact, there's a place where Jesus was talking to the people about this. And they said, what work do we have to do to get to heaven? And he said, the work you have to do is to believe in me. Plain and simple. That's what he said to them. What you believe determines where you spend eternity. And I know people love it when they hear the the verse in John where it talks about how God's house has many mansions. You know, and and God's, in heaven there's many rooms and and they they just assume that everyone's going to go there. But if you keep reading in John 14, Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, he actually asks the question, he's bold enough to ask. He says, how did we get there? Like, I'm interested in this place, it sounds really cool. All right? It's heaven. It's many rooms, mansions. I want to go. How do I get there? And Jesus says these words in John 14, 6. He says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so where's your heart at today? That's the heart test. Do you believe Jesus is the only way? Do you believe he's the absolute truth? Do you believe he's the bread of life? That's the question. And the adult Israelites left Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They died until a new generation replaced them, and they got to enter the promised land. They didn't believe. They didn't have genuine faith in God. They didn't see manna as a way to trust God every day. They just complained about God. And it didn't matter how many miracles God did in the desert, they weren't going to believe. In fact, that's really poignant for today, I think. Because people, I've heard people say, you know, if, I, if, I, if God does a miracle, people are always looking for signs. I noticed that. I ran into my mom this week at Kroger. I was just doing some bottle returns, and she was buying uh, uh, something. And uh, I just saw her there. And as we were talking for a minute and checking out, the, the cash register lady there was witnessing to us, which I thought was great. You're sharing your faith. She's telling us our God story, right? And she's telling us this God story, and it was like, One sign after another. And I believe that people are looking for signs. They're looking for something so that they can either believe or to strengthen their faith. The second part's good. You know, you see a miracle, you see God doing his work, and it strengthens your faith, fantastic. But if you're looking for a miracle or a sign to give you faith, it's not going to happen. Jesus said it's not going to happen. Matthew 12, verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus. Now get it, who's a scribe and who's a Pharisee? They're religious people. They're people who go to church all the time. And they go to Jesus and they say, Hey teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Do one of your magic tricks. Jesus says, no. I'm not going to do a magic trick for you. I'm not going to do a sign. I'm not going to do a miracle. And he calls them an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign, but no sign is given to you except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. Now that was important, and they knew the story of Jonah. They knew Jonah was a a prophet in the Old Testament who didn't want to preach the truth to the Ninevites because they were enemies, but yet God basically forced him Right? Got swallowed by a whale, right? It spit out, you know, got the whale guts all over him, or, you know, slot, whatever, and then he goes and preaches. And what happens in Nineveh? They repented. They worshiped God. But what Jesus is saying here is, is if, if you 
are not like, if Jonah, they repented, but he's saying to them, you're not going to repent. You're not going to turn away from your sin. You stand condemned. No miracle will work for you. That's what he's saying. Jesus is pointing out, the sign, the miracle, it's already been recorded in God's word. You know the story. It's already been done, and you don't believe it. You don't believe it. So no miracle is going to help your hard heart. That's the problem. It can't fix your problem. It's not going to happen. What do you need to do instead? Don't seek the miracle to give you faith. Seek the miracle worker. Seek him. Read the Bible. Look at the God of miracles. We've been looking at it. I spent two weeks talking about miracles. You can see those on our website those messages. And that's why I stand up here every day, because I want to show you that God is the miracle worker. God does miracles. He, he, I want to reveal his glory. I want to tell you about his grace and his mercy. So if you're wondering whether or not you have this saving faith, because I believe I don't, want to leave, I don't want to skip past that, and maybe that's a question you're wondering. Like, okay, wait a minute. Do I have saving faith? Do I have this faith that Jesus is talking about here? And here's what he says in response to that. He doesn't leave you without an answer. He says in verse 44 of John 6, he says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here's the deal. If you're pursuing Jesus, then you have saving faith. Nobody does that on their own. Jesus has called you. God has called you. You're pursuing him. It's because you have saving faith. And don't stop seeking him. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't don't put this on as as something that you might do on a Sunday if you have nothing else to do. Like, make this something you do every day. Every day you are seeking the Lord. That's the manna thing. Every day giving you bread from heaven. The word of God. Every day, consuming it. It's spiritual food and spiritual drink for you. Consume it. That's the bread of life. That's Jesus. Now let's talk about the water. Shall we? You ready? Exodus 17. They got their bread from heaven. Now it's in Exodus 17. The congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at a place called Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. So they got no water again. Verse 2, what do they do? They complained. In fact, they did more than complain. They quarreled with Moses. Give us water to drink. Why do you quarrel with me, Moses said. Why do you test the Lord? They're just, boy, they're just obstinate people, aren't they? Yeah, they're arguing, and it's so bad in verse 4. Moses cries out to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people They're ready to stone me. They're ready to kill me. Behold, verse 6, Moses is told uh, to God, God says, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike that rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will have their drink. So Moses did it in the sight of all the elders of Israel. Moses hits this rock, water comes out, and the place they called it Massa and Meribah, because Massa means testing and Meribah means quarreling. 
And that's what they did. They complained and they quarreled. And Is God among us or not? God will later call these people stiff-necked people. That means you're stubborn, severely stubborn, and you will not obey. Boy, Moses had a difficult task of leading these people, didn't he? I'm so thankful you're not like these people. You are so much easier to lead than these people. I love it. Now, I want to finish by exhorting you. I can't say encouraging you because it's much more than that. It's an exhorting. It's a challenge to you with the Apostle Paul's words because the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth in the New Testament, he brings up all of this stuff in Exodus. It's pretty cool. 1 Corinthians 10. I would encourage you, if you, if you um, heard some things today, you want to study this a little bit further, go, go read John 6 and 1 Corinthians 10. John 6 and 1 Corinthians 10, they tie right into Exodus 15 through 17 and all that's happening here. But here's the deal. We're going to, get into, we're going to take communion at the end of this because I think this leads into it. But I want you to know what happened on the night that Jesus did communion. For the first time, the upper room, we're actually approaching that, right? Coming up here, um, Good Friday. So Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room and he gives them the bread and he gives them the cup and they have the first communion. But he does something else in that, during that, uh, before that. He, he washes their feet. He washes their feet. Don't worry, I don't like feet. I'm not going to wash your feet. All right, just so you know that up front. But Jesus washes their feet, not because he's something that the church should be doing today physically. It's a physical thing with a spiritual implication. So what is it? What is that reason? He explains to them, and especially to Peter, because Peter was like, Pour it on me, Lord. Pour it on me. Like, I want it all. But Jesus says to them, listen, you have put your faith in me. You've been following me for three and a half years. We've been doing ministry together. Of course, not all, because one was a son of perdition, and he would go out. But the other 11 were faithful followers. They had put all of their faith in Jesus as the Son of God. They trusted in him. And Jesus says, you're clean. You're going to heaven because you put your faith in me. However, you're still in this world, and when you walk around in this world, your feet get dirty, don't they? Yeah, that's another way of saying that it's pretty much impossible to avoid sinning in this world. All right? We try our hardest, but we do mess up. Okay? Um, if you don't confess to that, okay, well, we've got to have another conversation. But yes, we, we all pretty much can understand that. So if you get your feet dirty, confess your sin. And I want to just tell you to be specific. Be specific. It's, maybe it's just a pet peeve of mine, but I notice that sometimes people will say, and I, and I used to do this with myself, is, is I would feel convicted when I would just say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Because I feel like the Lord is saying, well, which ones are you talking about, Matt? Because see, if you just say, Lord, forgive us of our sins, you're, not, you're, like, the per, you're like the three-year-old who you, had, you made say sorry because they hit their brother or their sister. Are they going to do it again? Yes, because that sorry didn't mean sorry. It didn't mean repentance. Repentance is to turn away and to try to never do it again. So we don't be specific to God because he doesn't know what sin we did. He knows everything. We do it so we know what we did and we'll stop doing it. So I would encourage you when you confess your sins not to say, you know, forgive me of my sins. No, be specific. What is it that you did and, and confess that? 
Now, the other thing is, run from any temptation that you have in your life. And I know you have a temptation in your life. We all do. We have multiple temptations. So I want to read this to you in 1 Corinthians 10. This is what Paul says. I'm finishing with this. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, our fathers were under the cloud. Remember the cloud in Exodus? And all passed through the Red Sea. We covered that. And all were baptized in Moses, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's an identification of being one in, in, uh, under the same. And all ate the same spiritual food, the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And what was that rock? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? It's an example for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Now, verses 7 through 10 give specific examples of what happened to them. Verse 11, these things happened as an example. They were written down for our instruction until the end of the ages has come. And then Paul says, as he always does, therefore, now you know what Christ has done, you know what God has done for you, all his epistles, all his letters to the churches, is this is what the Christ has done for you, now this is what you do. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That simply means anyone who thinks you can do this on your own, good luck. <laughs> you're not, you're going to fall. It's pride. Pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? So don't stand up and think you can do this on your own. Don't have that kind of pride. He says this in verse 13. You should memorize this verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. That means all temptations that you experience are normal. They're not unique. You, I, know you want, I know you're special. You are. You're, you're one of a kind. You're like a snowflake. Okay. But all temptations are normal. They happen to a lot of people. And God is faithful, and he doesn't let you get tempted beyond your ability. With every temptation, he provides a way of escape so that you can endure it. And then he says, beloved, flee from idolatry. And that's what I'm telling you today. Run from your temptation. Because if you don't, you're going to live a miserable life. And you know, if you've ever been caught up in something long enough, and it's ruined your life, and you've been powerless to that. That's really the first step, isn't it, in recovery? To admit you're powerless. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you're a Christian, verses 1 through 6, you have no, no part in this life of idolatry. You drank from the spiritual rock that's Jesus Christ. You've tasted the Jesus water. All right? Why, for example, then, are you going out and getting wasted at the bar? Run, Forrest, run from that place. Get drunk on the Holy Spirit, he tells us. Why, for example, are you having sex outside of the marriage covenant? Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Sex is meant to be beautiful within the marriage covenant. It gets totally perverted outside of it. Whatever your temptation is, God is calling you to run from it. And the next time you face temptation... How do you battle this stinking thinking, right? That temptation starts in the head, doesn't it? Oh, I kind of like that. I kind of want that. Like Eve, right? I, ooh, I kind of think that would be a good fruit to eat. That would be good for me to have. That's what the world's telling you. 
what, you, you should have that. You should be happy. You should want, go ahead, take it, eat it, do it, enjoy it. Moses, Moses, or it even says in Hebrews, Moses understood sin is pleasurable for a minute and not forever. It, it catches up. It leads to a, a, so what do you do when your mind is telling you, go ahead. Other people are telling you, go ahead. That's stinking thinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, take everything um, to um, um, give it to Christ. Everything, right? And then it's 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 13, you know no temptation can overtake you. Um, That's a mindset to have, isn't it? Because there's times where we feel the temptation, but God is saying, no, I'm faithful. I have a way out for you. Trust me, follow me. Every single day. Every single day. The world will tempt you, but God will always help you escape. Always. And if you mess up, which occasionally we do, we slip up. If you mess up, fess up, get washed up. (laughs) Jesus is ready always to wash your feet. God's ready to forgive your sins. Nothing you can do. God won't forgive. Nothing. Nothing you can do. God will not. He'll forgive you. So this leads us right into the body and the blood of Christ. So our ushers are going to come forward now. And uh, we have, for everyone, um, the opportunity to take communion. And I want to encourage you to do that. We take it together. So when they come up here, I'll invite each side of the room, each part of the room to come up and take the bread and the cup. And when you take it, hold on to it. We'll do it together. But again, the body of Christ participating in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, all of which is remembering that he has died for us. And as you wait, as you're you're waiting, we'll have some music playing here in a minute, Um, be in prayer. Be in prayer. Take the time. John 1.9 says, 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, specific ones, God is faithful and just and he forgives you. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, spend some time in prayer. Um, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for you. And I want to keep encouraging you to run from that temptation. So.